Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday, February the 21st, 2021. It is currently 11.07 a.m. Central Time. This is, well, the time for the morning sermon here at Victory Baptist Church. And yes, I'm not standing behind the pulpit. And well, yes, we're live streaming only again. We don't have anybody currently present in the build. There's no one else here in the building other than myself, or at least I think so. I think I'm the only one in the building. I could be deceived by that because the other day I almost had a heart attack because there was someone in the building and I didn't realize they were in the building. I I was sitting here. I don't even remember what day it was. I was sitting here and I was doing a podcast episode and I was going to town and I was trying to make a point. I was going to make a point and I was, I was, I was raising my hands. I was, I was raising my voice. And all of a sudden I realized at the corner of my eye that there was someone standing in the sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church in a building that I thought was locked in a building that I thought I was the only person in. And all of a sudden I realized that someone was standing there and I almost screamed and I almost passed out. Okay. Now, it, it, because you just get when as many hours as I've spent in this church now um, over the last year doing live broadcasts alone, um, you just get like, that, no one's ever going to be in this building ever again. I'm just in this building. And all of a sudden, when you're talking live on air to realize someone is standing there next, or not next to you, but standing in the building. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was a little, uh, it, 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 yeah. I, I almost, yeah, I almost screamed live on the air. It happened to be Bobby, who I guess had checked the mail and was bringing me the mail that was really just, uh, the only thing in the mail was a pen. They, they sent us a pen that says Victory Baptist Church and has, I think, our address on it. And they're like, hey, order 500 pens that, that you can give out to people to advertise your church. And I'm like, okay, wonderful. He came in and almost gave me a heart attack for that. that that's what, that's what he, he came in here for. So yes. So as far as I know, I'm in this building by myself alone today. I, I think I am. I, I, I could be wrong, but I think all the doors, are, I'm going to have to lock the doors and then, you know, put pews up against the doors and nobody can get in. No. Uh, yes. So yeah, that's what happened the other day. But as far as I know, I'm here by myself, but I stated this in the Sunday school hour. Let me state this again. Starting next Sunday, if the hospitals stay where they are, if everything continues to go the direction it's going, cases across the nation are dropping at a, a very rapid pace. That we're 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 really getting we're we're into some really hopeful ground right now as far as COVID nineteen is concerned. There's a lot of hope that we're really now on the other side of this. If if everything continues the way it's going, and I think at the the local hospitals, I think we're down to like five percent. So the fifteen percent is the threshold, and we're we're like way down to five percent. So we're in really good shape. So next Sunday, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. We're back to a full schedule, and we're and then that means Wednesday we'll be back to having church in person as well. So next week, everything returns to normal for in person services. All right, that's how it's going to go unless something changes. So we we will always play it by ear and, and try to make the best decision. But I think that's what we're going to do. Everything is back. If anything changes, if anyone, if any family, if you get test positive or something's going on, give me a heads up so that we can make any necessary changes or precautions that we need to take. All right. All of that stated. All that good. All right. Now we have to return back to a subject. 
that I, in some, in some ways, I don't want to talk about it, but in other ways, it needs to be talked about because I feel like we've been struggling with this subject for so long, oh, but it, it's, it's where we are in our study in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open there. I know we had, we, we, we just got back into Romans chapter 8. And then we had the the blizzard and the winter apocalypse happen, and now we're 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 ugh, it's it this disjointed. We have people here, we don't have people here. We have a service now, we can't have a service now. We back to having a service. All of that just makes the whole teaching seem so disjointed and ugh, I hate it. It, it it's like if I, I wish it would be. You know, you want it to, to, to flow like one week right after another week right after another week, all, all the teaching done the same way with people present. So it has some continuity, some kind of flow. Uh, and uh, I just, ugh, it's, it's so discouraging because you're, you're, I'm trying to do the best work I can on this very important subject. And it just feels like uh, the circumstances keep getting in the way, but I can't control the circumstances. All I can do is continue to try my best to help you with Romans chapter eight and help you with this very important subject. All right. So let's, let's make this very simple. In Romans chapter eight, right? We're going to try, and I'm going to set this commentary aside here. Romans chapter eight, if you we remember, we did this uh, two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago. Um, I, I believe it was. I don't even remember anymore. Uh, but when everyone was present, I had everyone uh, do a uh, skim, Romans chapter 8, to determine how many times the word spirit is used. And what we determined, and I don't remember the total number, but uh, however many times it's used in Romans chapter 8, what we realize is Romans chapter 8 is emphasizing in a very dramatic way by its repetition that Romans 8 really wants us to understand as Christians, we now have the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we are now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now indwells us. We are now, we, we as Christians, we're now temples of the Holy Spirit of God. He indwells uh, inside of us. We are now the temple. And in a sense, the Holy Spirit indwells us. That is a massive, uh, I mean, that, that's just hard to wrap your mind around it that now, you know, that as there was in the Old Testament, there was the temple. Now we become the temple. God dwells inside of us in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit. That is hard to comprehend. That's hard to wrap our mind around. That's so theoretical, right? It's so theoretical. God dwells inside of me. That is such a massive claim that we make as Christians. It's a staggering claim. It's hard to even wrap my mind around it. When, like we, we're so used to saying it, we don't ever stop to really think about what that means. God dwells inside of me. I am the temple of God. Like what, what, how do I even process that? What does that mean practically? And you know that one thing it often leads to is this idea that now that you have God dwelling in you, that you now have power. You have supernatural power dwelling inside of you. If you've been listening this week, I oh, starting, well, I, I think, yeah, start, I think we started it this week. We've been reviewing a sermon uh, that was preached uh, in Council Bluffs, Iowa on the Sermon on the Mount because we're doing this series on the Sermon on the Mount if you've been keeping up with all that we've been working on. Been t- it's, it's, it's going to take a lot of work to work through it, but Matthew 5 through 7 is a section of scripture that everyone quotes. And I started my, our study on the Sermon on the Mount by giving everyone nine hermeneutical approaches people take to the Sermon on the Mount. 
Nine different ways people approach the Sermon on the Mount because throughout church history, not everyone has agreed in how you interpret the Sermon on the Mount. There's major disagreement, but there's a very common one that is present in the evangelical Christian world. And the approach is the Sermon on the Mount is for us today and that the Sermon on the Mount demonstrates or proves your obedience to the Sermon on the Mount demonstrates and proves if you're truly a Christian. If you're truly a Christian, you follow the Sermon on the Mount. If you're truly a Christian, you obey the Sermon on the Mount. And so you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you start reading it and you're like, whoa, this is some hard stuff to accomplish. How am I going to do this? And then typically what you are told is you can keep the Sermon on the Mount. You can obey the Sermon on the Mount. And why can you keep it? Why can you obey it? Everyone knows because you have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in empowers you to keep the law of God. You can now obey God's law. You can now, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is basically taking the law of God and making it even more difficult because it goes beyond the external act to the internal attitude. So, but according to the sermon that we've been reviewing, the by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. You have this power. So whenever we talk about now, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God, it leads to this discussion of, well then, power. You have power, and you have the ability to obey God, and you have the ob- the ability, the ability to resist sin. In fact, I have a commentary right here on Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and let me find it here. Paul's main point. This, this, they say one of Paul's main points in Romans chapter eight is that by the power of the spirit who dwells in us, Christians are able to, to, to successfully resist and destroy sin in their lives. According to this commentary, one of the main points of Romans chapter eight is because now you have the Holy Spirit, you can successfully resist and destroy sin in your lives. You don't have to sin. Because you have the power to resist it. You have the power to destroy it. And they say that's one of the main points of Romans chapter 8. Yeah, and that's that's what I think about that. Why do I think about that? Because every time we turn around, what do we see? Christians sin, 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 sin. Churches fall apart. Christian marriages fall apart. Christian young people, fornication, uh, addiction to pornography. You got, you name it. There's, there's backbiting, gossip, bearing false witness, telling lies, sin, 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 sin. Never stops 2,000 years of sin. Oh, a scandal broke. Oh, look what happened to Ravi Zacharias. Oh, look what happened to the pastor of Hillsong. Oh, no, look, oh, look, James McDonald. Look what happened here. Oh, look what happened here. Look what's going on here. Oh, this financial uh, thing happening within the church. This is going on, this going on, this going on on this going on and then people are like man what is the problem what is the problem is we're still sinners and what is the problem is clearly i reject the idea that we have some supernatural and divine power that makes us somehow better than all those poor horrible heathen who live across the street who just don't have the same supernatural power as i have to be good because i can be good i can be i can be without sin oh no 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 i can't be without sin but i have the power of god to resist sin and destroy sin but i can't be sinless like and and the commentary that i just threw across the room um that commentary basically goes with that idea hey you have the power of the holy spirit to resist and destroy sin in your life but you can't be perfect well 
so so uh, it, it makes no sense. And we've talked about this over and over and over and over and over and over again. But we have to keep talking about it because we're in Romans chapter eight that inf- that everyone thinks teaches this very concept. So what we're trying to do is figure out exactly what does it mean in your life and my life that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What exactly does it mean? And so we're working on, we've got a lot of different sources here, but we are going to work on them and see what this means. So let's remind us some, some basic things that we covered a couple of weeks ago. I don't, I know you don't remember everything. I go to Romans chapter eight, verse nine. Romans chapter eight, verse eight says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. All right. But, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, please note, he says, you're not in the flesh, but we are clearly in the flesh. So how does he mean we're not in the flesh? I'm not in the flesh in my position. Clearly, I'm not there, but I'm still in the flesh because the flesh is still there. But some understand this to mean I'm not in the flesh because the spirit's in me. So the flesh is now gone. The flesh has been broken. The flesh has been eradicated. The flesh is gone. But the, the problem is we teach that, and then what do we see? Sin, 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 sin. And you say, well, it's not the big sins, but you still sin all the time. And, and who are you to determine which sin is big and which sin is not big? Do you, have the, do you have that card that tells you how to measure them? Because I don't have that card that tells me how to measure them. All right? So, but the idea is that we are in the spirit. So what does that mean? And please understand in Romans 8, 9, if we do not have the spirit of Christ, we are none of his. If we do not have the Holy Spirit, we are not a Christian. That is dogmatic, all right? But if we have the Holy Spirit, what does that mean, all right? Uh, just make sure we remind ourselves, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the, is the action by which God takes up permanent residence in the body of a believer in Jesus Christ, right? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the action uh, uh, by which God takes up permanent residence in the body of a believer in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in your body as a believer. He takes up permanent residence. He is in you. You become the temple. We can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Some of these things are review, I know. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We, have, we should glorify God in our body because why? Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So how do we glorify God in our body? Well, one thing we would glorify God in our body by abstaining from sexual sin. But there's gotta be, it's gotta go beyond sexual sin. So you, you sometimes you see a pastor who's standing behind the pulpit and I hate, I hate to say this this way, but I think it has to be at least acknowledged. You'll have a pastor standing behind a pulpit, right? And I'll just, I'm gonna, and please do not become offended by this, but I have to, it has to be said. He'll stand behind the pulpit. He's railing against sexual sin. Your body is the temple of God. How dare you? You take the temple of God and commit sexual sin. How dare you? That is wrong. You need to glorify God in your body. All right. And while he's preaching that, he's 300 pounds. His, you know, uh, 
cholesterol level is like you're going to die in 15 minutes. His blood pressure is an absolute mess. He's got every kind of physical problem because of his uh, uh, being overweight. He he, he eats, you know, uh, 10 buckets of fried chicken every every Sunday. Um, and he's got a major issue. Well, OK, so is are you glorifying God with your body? Because your body is the temple of, is that, is that, the sexual sin is wrong. Now, if, if, if that pastor commits sexual sin, boom, they'll throw him out of the pulpit, but he can, he can possibly show signs of, of gluttony, possibly show signs of not caring for his body. Not, is, is that wrong? Is, is it only wrong to take your body and use it in sexual sin, but it's not wrong to take your body and use it for other things? Like, how, how do we, how do we, what do we do with this? See, you, we got to ask practical questions here about this idea that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, all right? And so, I'll just get, get some, remind you of some basic things, all right? Uh, the fact that the believer's body is likened to a temple where the Holy Spirit lives helps us understand what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is all about. The word temple is used to describe the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum and the Old Testament tabernacle structure. There, God's presence would appear in a cloud and meet the high priest who who come once a year into the Holy of Holies. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest brought uh, brought the blood of the slain animal, sprinkled it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. On this special day, God granted forgiveness to the priest and his people. Today, there are no Jewish temple in Jerusalem and the animal sacrifices have ceased. The believer in Christ have become the inner sanctum and God, the Holy Spirit, uh, and God, the Holy Spirit, um, as the believer has been sanctified and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. The believer in Christ becomes the habitation for the Holy Spirit of God. All right, now, I have 10 things that the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is to bring about. 10 things, all right? Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm checking something here, making sure. Yeah, I, there's some uh, some resources that I wanted, but I don't I don't I, th- I think I left them up on the pulpit. I think they're sitting on the pulpit. If I have to get up and go to the pulpit, I will. All right, but here we go. Ten, basically, what does it mean? How do I want to state this? I want to state this so that you can you can you can you can formulate it your own way. But I'll try to offer up my own way of formulating it. Ten things that explains what it means. Of that the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. Ten things that explains what it means that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, right? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you? Here are 10 things that will help try to explain it. Now, I, I stated this uh, two weeks ago, whenever we were together, that I'm not going to be very dogmatic about some of these because some of these are going to be very difficult to try to wrap our mind around. I, I, I reject this idea that because I have the Holy Spirit in me, that dun to dun to dun, I have supernatural power and I can just overcome sin because 2000 years of church history doesn't look your, your only solution is then anyone who doesn't overcome sin, they're not a Christian. Well, nobody says that. So then you say, well, you have the power to overcome sin, but you're not going to do it perfectly. Well, if I'm not going to do it perfectly and I'm going to continue to sin consistently, then, then does, do I really have the power or don't like, if you're going to say I have the power to do it, but I'm never going to do it, then do I really have the power? It it, it becomes just redundant, ridiculous comments that, that Christians make. So we got to really try to take this apart and figure this out. So here we go. Are you ready? All right. Number one, the indwelling Holy Spirit comes to a soul dead in sin and creates new life. 
So the first thing, the fact that the Holy Spirit is inside of us is that he now has, he's given us spiritual life. Let's state it that way. The first result of the Holy Spirit indwelling us is he gives us spiritual life. You can call this regeneration or you can call this the new birth. He takes someone who is dead. We are now quickened and made alive. Uh, We looked at this scripture. I'll just mention it again. Titus chapter three, verse five. We didn't mention it today, but we mentioned it in previous message. Titus chapter three, verse five. Titus chapter three, verse five. Titus chapter three, verse five. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's that regeneration. What what two things, uh, how does God save us? How does God bring about this regeneration? How does God bring about this spiritual life? It is through the word of God and the spirit of God that he brings about this spiritual life. So the first thing that we can say is as a result of the Holy Spirit being in you, one of the things that, that what it means that the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you is that now you have spiritual life. You have been born again. You have been quickened. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you have been made alive. You now are spiritually alive to God. Now, that is a change that should be present, and every Christian should demonstrate that, right? I mean, if you're a Christian, well, you're, you believe in God, right? So you're alive to God. You trust in what Christ did. You you obviously, hopefully, want to, you care about what God thinks. You you care about his word. Now, I'm, well, I'm not going to sit there and try to give some level to say it's got to be this much, but obviously you believe in God. Obviously, you, you're now alive to God. You were dead to God, but now you're alive to God. You believe in him. You trust in him. You're turning to him. You confess to him. You Your hope is in him. So you are alive to God in some obviously meaningful, tangible way, just as a, of a dead person crawled out of the ground, he would be alive. You would know he is alive. You have spiritual life. Now, some people will will then try to argue about, well, then that's going to be a whole different level of morality. Well, then that gets into, it gets so difficult to measure all of that. But we can, I think it's at least easy to measure life. There is life. There's evidence of life. You're alive to God. You care about God. You think about God. You you care about the things of God. There's some there's something there. And look, you, when when someone just doesn't care about God, doesn't care about the things of God, they're dead to God. They think God is. They don't care about the Scripture. Then then there is there is some concern that there is no spiritual life. We're not talking about how perfect they are, how moral they are. We're talking about at least just some like I care about the things of God. All right, number two. Go to Romans chapter eight since that's where we are. Go to Romans chapter eight. Now, how this one works, this one is just as confusing to me as many of the other things, but here we go. Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, let's go to verse 15. Romans chapter eight, verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. All right. The first thing the the presence of the Holy Spirit does is it gives us spiritual life. The second thing it does, I'm going to read this in a couple of different ways. The indwelling spirit confirms to the believer that he belongs to the Lord and is an heir of God and fellow heir with Christ. The second thing it does is it supposed to give some kind of confirmation to us that we are the child of God. Now, I, I think 
I'm, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to go back to Romans 8. I'm going to go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I think, I think we make a lot of emphasis of like, okay, the spirit gives me some kind of internal confirmation. I feel it. I know, I know that I'm a child of God. And I, that's so subjective. But I do like the fact that it's by the spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. Right. So I think the I think that we can say this, the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads us. I don't even like that term. It is because of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit that's made me alive to God. It is by that same Holy Spirit that I then cry out to God saying, Abba, Father, or saying our Father. Our Father, our our Father, referring to uh, we can refer to the the the, the Lord's Prayer. You know, we, we we cry out to God, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive me of my trespasses. Forgive me of my sins. We 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 begin to cry out to God because the whole it's by the Holy Spirit we are alive to God, and now we we we, we realize we're in a relationship with God, and so we cry out to God, Abba Father. I think that's how it gives us witness that we are the child of God. If we try to make it more if we try to make it subjective, it almost becomes impossible. It's a feeling, it's a feeling, it's a feeling where there's people of all kinds of religions who feel that they are in a right relationship with God. I think it's the I think what we can look for is by the spirit, then we cry out to God as our Father. We cry out to him as Abba, Father. We begin to pray to him. And even that, I guess, is somewhat subjective. But all right. So those are number one. Or those are two things so far. Number one, the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life. Number two, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit leads us to cry out to God as uh, as our Father. I think that's the best way I can put that one. All right. Number three. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And there's lots of dispute on this passage as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. All right. So number one, the presence of the Holy Spirit it, what, what it means, it means that we now have spiritual life. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the second thing it means is that we are, the ch- we are the, a child of God and we cry out our Father. And number three, the presence of the Holy Spirit means that we have now, listen, we have been placed into the body of Christ. We've been, in fact, let me read that again, how it, I'm going to give the exact words here, the way it's used here in the King James um, that we have now, now been baptized into the body of Christ. That is by the Holy Spirit that we have been baptized, placed, immersed into the body of Christ. We become members of the body of Christ because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us puts us into the body of Christ. Now, there's lots of dispute here. We can get to discuss a discussion about the universal church. Remember when we set out to try to prove this concept of the universal church? 
we, we, we struggle with this concept. Just going by scripture alone, I know it's a common teaching throughout church history. Um, exactly what do we mean by the universal church? Okay, I'm, I'm part of this universal invisible body. I don't really meet there. I don't do anything there. There's no, I'm just a part of it. So I, I think that what, I think this, I think, I, th- I think I'll say it this way. I'm going to state it this way. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us is what unifies us with other believers, right? There's going to be plenty of things that divide us, but what should unify us is that the Holy Spirit is in me and in the Holy Spirit is in you. We're not going to be unified by our hobbies. We're not going to be unified by our likes and dislikes. Sadly, we won't even be unified in our politics, even though our politics should be far more governed by the word of God than all the other nonsense that governs them. So we should be more unified in our political beliefs, but that's that's neither here nor there. All these things that divide us, the one thing that should pr- provide unity is because you have the Holy Spirit and I have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are one in Christ. We can get into this never-ending discussion of what does it mean the universal church and how do we understand the universal church and what does it mean and what is its implications, and we can debate that all day. We can say that because of the Holy Spirit, that brings about unity. Unity that you have this Holy Spirit, I'm the Holy Spirit, so we are one in Christ. We're neither Jew nor Gentile. We're, we're Our race, our background, everything about us, all of those differences doesn't matter because we are unified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. That is something the presence of the Holy Spirit does, right? The, pre, the, pre, the presence of the Holy Spirit in, in you gives you life. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the very thing that leads you to cry out to God as Abba Father or Our Father or My Father. All right. The third thing is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you makes you unified with other people. We need that. And it's just interesting that Paul it, you, it writes to the church of Corinth about this concept because they were divided. They were fighting over everything. They were fighting over their spiritual leaders, the fighting over spiritual gifts. They were, they were trying to sue one another. They were fighting, 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 and fighting. He's reminding the thing that unites you is the, the presence of Christ. You've been by the Holy Spirit. Spirit, you've been put into the body of Christ. So it's the presence of the Spirit in us that unifies us. That's the unity. It's not a fake unity. It's not a unity that where we compromise truth. It's a unity because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I think that that is important, all right? Number four, all right? Uh, the, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now, if you go back before verse uh, 11, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about spiritual gifts. And so here he's saying it's the self-same spirit that gives these spiritual gifts. So we could say this, all right? Let's go through these again. Presence of the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual life. Number two, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the thing that leads you to say, my father, calling God your father, a right relationship with God. Number three, it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that leads to unity. We are unified because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Number four, it is the Holy Spirit that gives spiritual gifts or gives God-given abilities uh, for service. <clears throat> it, is, it is God who gives Christians spiritual gifts 
so that they can edify the church and serve the Lord and bring him glory. It is God who gives spiritual gifts. Now, this again becomes very subjective because then everyone wants to get their little chart and figure out what my spiritual gift is. And everyone tries to determine what their spiritual gift is. And it's just, uh, I've said in those Sunday school classrooms where they do this and they, they have a little whiteboard and then everyone goes around saying, I think my spiritual gift is this. And I think my spiritual gift is this. And it's, it, 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 I hate to say this. Sometimes it felt like, Felt like people sitting around talking about astrology going, I'm a Pisces and I, and that because I'm a Pisces, I'm this. And it's like, you just pick out the things you like and say, that's what I am. And it's like everyone, everyone claims the spiritual gift. And sometimes you would look at them and go, I've known you for five years. That's your spiritual gift. You're going to claim your spiritual gift is encouragement. You've been the most discouraging person in this church for 15 years. What do you, you're, you think you're, you think your spiritual gift is encouragement? Are you out of your mind? Okay. Oh, what, what drugs are you smoking? This is still subjective, but I will say this. Whatever spiritual gifts we possess, whatever spiritual gifts we think we possess, no, whatever spiritual gifts we actually do possess, okay? And we don't believe all spiritual gifts that were present in the apostolic times are present today. Okay, we can get a discussion there. But whatever spiritual gifts we possess, they come from the Holy Spirit. They come from the Holy Spirit. All right, we will say it that way. All right, because well, I'm just trying to I'm trying to give us some level of certainty because each one of these topics could lead to 24 hours of debate, and so I'm just trying to give us a basic understanding here. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the thing that gives you regeneration, gives you spiritual life. You have spiritual life because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, you. Uh, and it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that you cry out to God as your father. It is the, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit that you have a relationship with God the Father, all right? Uh, number three, or, and yeah, I'll, I'll state it that way. Uh, number three, uh, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that brings about Christian unity. We are unified to one another because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Number four, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that it equips us with spiritual gifts, all right? Number five, uh-oh. This one could be dangerous, right? Go to 1 Corinthians 2.12. 1 Corinthians 2.12. I'm worried about this one. 1 Corinthians 2.12. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, there's a lot of things we have to try to figure out here, right? Is this, does Paul, is Paul referring to himself and that they have the Holy Spirit and they have the, as apostles, they have certain ability to understand, or is he referring to all Christians? Now, this raises a question because this is how some would handle 1 Corinthians 2.12. Let me read how one commentary does. The indwelling spirit helps the believer understand and apply the scripture to his daily life. Now, some will say the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the thing that gives you spiritual understanding. Now, you know, I struggle with this one because now first there's the scripture uh, in, in John that says the, the Holy Spirit will guide, guide you into all truth. I think that promise is specifically for the apostles, specifically for the writing of the New Testament, clearly, 
Because again, if the Holy Spirit's guiding all of us into all truth, then why in 2,000 years of church history, we still don't have any agreement on what the truth even is? We don't have agreement on salvation. We don't have an agreement on baptism. We don't have an agreement on how the church should be structured. We don't have an agreement literally on any. We don't even have an agreement on how to interpret most scripture. But the Holy Spirit's leading us into all truth. That's just nonsense. So I, I'm not a big fan of this idea that the Holy Spirit is the thing that gives me some kind of special understanding and tells me how to apply scripture. Because I know Christians who are definitely Christians who love God and serve God, but every time they try to quote scripture and try to apply scripture, it's a train wreck of epic proportion. They should just stop. It's like, what are you doing? That That's not what that text means. That's not how, what are you doing? No. Being a Christian is by no means guaranteed that you understand the scripture and can apply the scripture and can even interpret the scripture. So I'm not a fan of this one. I'm not a fan of this one. So let's go through these again of what we got so far. All right. The uh, the indwelling of the spirit, the presence of the spirit is the thing that gives a spiritual life. Okay. We can all, I think that one's pretty obvious. Number two, it is the Holy Spirit, that's the thing that leads us to cry out, my, you know, uh, God is my father, my father. I, I can see that how, how it's, it gives us some kind of internal confirmation that I'm a Christian. I don't know how you process that. It's so subjective. That, I don't even know how you wrap your mind around that. Number three, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the thing that gives us unity because you have the Spirit, I have the Spirit. That's the thing that unifies us. That's the, the thing that puts us into the body of Christ. It's the presence of the Spirit, I think, that brings about that unity. I think that's something that we could explore more. Number four, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that gives spiritual gifts. Whatever you want to say about spiritual gifts, we could argue all day about them, but whatever spiritual gifts anyone has comes from the Holy Spirit, all right? Number five, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Well, we're not gonna. We're not. So I, we, you can put a question mark by. The, well, no, not even put a question mark because I completely reject it. Um, so we won't put we won't put anything down for number five yet because because I reject this one. I just there's there's no way that the Holy Spirit in us gives us some special insight into Scripture. It just it just doesn't work that way. I wish it did. But I, I just have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with that. I know, and again, let's, let's go back to that passage. Um, go back to 1 Corinthians 2. Go back to 1 Corinthians 2 here. 1 Corinthians 2. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul here in verse 1 says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech uh, or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He's speaking about himself as an apostle. For I, he continues, determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Speaking of himself, verse three, and I with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And I was with you in weakness and in fear. And my speech, he's speaking about himself, right? Uh, then he says, and he, that his speech and his words were not enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. He spoke through the power of, of, of the spirit of God. He was an apostle. God revealed things directly to him. 
Uh, and he did so that their faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, and yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. And when he says we, is he speaking of him and his fellow apostolic leaders, or is he speaking of everyone in the church? Um, and then he says, which none, uh, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them to, unto us by the Spirit, for the Spirit teacheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man save the Spirit? Uh, the Spirit knoweth, uh, even, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual um, with spiritual. It seems like he's almost establishing his apostolic authority and ability to teach, and that those as the apostles, they received this special revelation from God. God opened their eyes. He revealed things to them. He took them to the third heaven. He, he showed them these things. And I think that, I think it, that's where we have to leave it. There's no way I can say that God gives me some special understanding. I, I just, I just, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't go with, with that idea. All right. So we're going to just forget number five. All right. And then we'll go with number six. We'll stop with number six. Go to Romans chapter eight, verse 26 through 27. Romans 8, 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray um, for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. All right? The next thing the Holy Spirit does, he's in us and he makes intercession for us. He makes intercession for us. He intercedes for us in prayer. He, he, he is there to assist in our prayer life. We don't know what to pray. We don't know what to say. The spirit in us makes intercession for us on our behalf. All right. So let's go through these again. What is the Holy Spirit does? The presence of the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life. All right. Number two, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the thing that leads us to cry out to God as Abba Father, as my Father. It's, it's, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that connects us to God as Father. And, and in some way, it can offer some kind of confirmation that we're the child of God. But I think, I think it offers confirmation that we're child of God because the Spirit is in us. His presence demonstrates I'm a child of God. All right. Number three, uh, the Holy Spirit it's it's the Holy Spirit that brings unity. It's I have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit, where we're one in Christ. Number four, if whatever we want to say about spiritual gifts, they come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives those spiritual gifts. Number five, we're going to make number five what I have down as number six. I had to cover the number five because that's so normally talked about. I had to at least mention it, but I reject it. I, I just, there's no way that the Holy Spirit gives me some special understanding. I think that was for the apostles. And I think that it bears itself out even there in 1 Corinthians 2. So we'll say number five is that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is that he intercedes on our behalf. He assists us in our prayer life. God is in us. He, 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 the spirit knows us, he understands us, and therefore he can articulate and pray for us 
um, which is something that should bring great comfort to us. All right, there we have it. Those are five things that we are, that are five things that come about the Holy Spirit being in, uh, inside of us. Five things that come from it. And again, I reject the, the one, uh, so that's why we have five and not six. I wanted to get to six, but that's okay. We, we took some time to fix that. All right, I'm just going to stop right there. I know typically I go to like 12.15, uh, but it's, it's far different when you're sitting here behind this microphone uh, versus when people are in front of you. So I'll stop right there. I'll stop right there. If anyone has any questions, you can email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Members of Victory Baptist Church, you can obviously contact me anytime or you can post your questions in Slack and I definitely will we'll look at them and see what we can do. All right. The, probably the most controversial one that I reject is that one that somehow we have special understanding. Um, I know members of Victory Baptist Church, you know my position on this. People who are listening who are not members of Victory Baptist Church, again, I would just point to 2,000 years of church history. Christians literally cannot agree on any subject. They all claim to have, they all claim to be Christians. That, therefore, if there are Christians, they have the Spirit in them, and nobody can agree. You can't agree on how to interpret. Just take any passage of scripture, go look up 13 commentaries, you'll get 50 different interpretations. Well, where's the Spirit of God guiding them into all truth? 2,000 years, Christianity is still divided over the subject of baptism. Do you baptize babies? Do you not baptize babies? Does baptizing baby make them a Christian or not? Does it make them a Christian? Does it make them a part of the covenant families? Do you sprinkle? Do you immerse? Okay, uh, even even over adult baptism, is adult baptism necessary for salvation or is it simply picture? I mean, we, we, we fight all day about that. Lord's Supper, close communion, close communion. Like, how, how should we do communion? There's disagreement over that. We can go on on and on and on throughout church history. So if, if we have the Spirit supposedly giving us understanding, then it's the most confused thing I've ever seen in my life because at this point, we should have some kind of agreement. There should be some kind of consistency. But there's not. So clearly, I, we can't claim some supernatural power of giving us understanding. Sometimes I think you could get 10, I, I hate to say this, sometimes I think you could get 10 lost people, hand them a passage of scripture, say, y'all work on this. And then, uh, when you're done working on an interpretation, let us know. And then you get 10 Christians. I think the 10 lost, pe- I think the 10 lost people would come back with a, a unified interpretation and the 10 Christians would still be fighting a year later and probably eight new churches would start after their time of trying to figure out what the passage says. And I mean, and, and when I, when I see that Christians get mad, but I'm just, I just look at church history. The 10 lost people are like, Hey, I think this is what the text means. I mean, these are the words are used. This is the context. This is the best we can come up with. And the 10 Christians will be like, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Well, I'm going to go start another church. Well, I'll start a church. Well, I'll start my church. You're wrong. You're a heretic. You're a heretic. You're not even saved. I bet you you're not saved. You, you. And then, and that's how, well, that's where Christians would go. But hey, we have the Holy Spirit giving us great insight and understanding. Yeah, whatever. No, we don't. So I reject that one. All right. So that that's the first one that's going to get me in trouble. So the two the two things I reject that gets me in trouble with Christians is I don't believe we have some supernatural spiritual insight because of the Holy Spirit. He gives us some understanding that I understand Scripture because the Holy Spirit gives me that understanding. No. 
that doesn't work that way. And number two, I don't believe I have some supernatural power to overcome sin uh, inside of me because, well, 2,000 years of church history seems to disprove that one as well. So we have to then understand when these passages that seem to go that direction, are we interpreting them correctly? All right, there you go. Everyone have a great day. All right, I'll be back sometime later this afternoon after I get some food. And, and uh, well, we'll see what we can do this afternoon. Everyone have a great day. God bless.